Welcome to the Seamland Podcast, I'm your host Seamland, and today we have a YouTube live Q&A session. I answer different kind of questions about health, fitness, and biohacking. Unfortunately, there was a bit of an echo in the live recording for some reason, so I'm gonna apologize for that, but the information itself is pretty good. So, I hope you still enjoy this episode. Alright, how's everyone doing? Uh, welcome back to another live stream. It's been a while, I haven't had like a live Q&A in a long time. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, we, should we should be good, good at the moment. moment. We're going to have like a short Q&A about uh, any kinds of topics that you want to discuss. Uh, mostly, you know, um, health, fitness, uh, biohacking, uh, nutrition, etc., etc. And yeah, if you have like any questions, then uh, you can start asking them in the chat, chat as well. And uh, yeah, just let me know where you're watching this from. And uh, let's get this uh, thing uh, slowly on the road. <laughs> uh, but first, um, I'll maybe... Just uh, mention as well that if you aren't if you aren't uh, following following me on Instagram, then uh, make sure you do it as well. I have like a pretty good um, content on there as well about uh, different kinds of topics. Like uh, recently, I've been doing like this long carousel post posts uh, about uh, one topic, like uh, when is information good? You know, one of the videos about was about that. What are the main causes of aging? Um, how do you um, nutrient partition uh, the calories you eat into more muscle and less fat? And uh, today I also published um, a good post about red light and uh, how it affects skin health. So there's actually a lot of uh, benefits to um, red light when it comes to uh, like acne and wrinkles and uh, stuff like that. So it's actually a pretty good post. Let's just maybe like look at it for a little bit um, to uh, go through it. So um, this kind of uh, red light therapy and light therapy in general has been um, pioneered for a long time, uh, at least like since since the uh, 1903, when um, Niels, well, he was doing it before that already, this guy from uh, the Faroe Islands, uh, Niels Finsen, he was doing uh, this kind of light therapy on uh, people, and he used different kinds of lights, some of them were uh, like, you know, red light, some of them were uh, blue light, uh, bright light, but, specific, but in uh, 1903, he got like a Nobel Prize as well. Uh, for his uh, like this uh, work that he did, and uh, when it comes to the red light, then he mostly used that for uh, treating uh, smallpox lesions. So there's actually like a ton of different kinds of photos online that you can find about um, the these kinds of people uh, being uh, able to um, or he the, he, uh, he 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 treated them with red light, and he helped to uh, basically alleviate a lot of these uh, smallpox and uh, stuff like that. Which is, you know, uh, also makes you kind of uh, quite appreciative of uh, modern life, etc. Like, the smallpox itself isn't uh, like an actual um, thing anymore. It's very, uh, very rare. And I think it's, yeah, mostly uh, ex- ex- exterminated, if, that, if that's the correct term. Uh, and yeah, like, uh, smallpox is pretty uh, crazy itself. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to have it uh, er- eradicated. Uh, but why? does uh, red light have like these um, positive, positive effects well uh, red light is uh, one part of like the uh, visible light uh, that you get from uh, you know any sources but you know mostly from the sunlight and uh, the uh, the red light itself is between like 600 700 nanometers uh, opposed to like uh, blue light which is somewhere around like, 350 to 500 nanometers and blue light is the one that is mostly associated with like wakefulness and alertness and um, you know, uh, daytime, and uh, the red light is more like uh, sunset, 
sundown how do you call it uh, sunset yeah and uh, mostly like relaxing calming and uh, healing almost in a sense because like you know when you're going to bed at night you're going to sleep then that's the time when your body is uh, repairing itself the most and uh, yeah like the red light is almost like a circadian rhythm signal to the body that tells it okay this is the time where you are supposed to start to heal and you're, you're supposed to start to um, the, uh, the rejuvenated process for the night and uh, melatonin gets secreted as well in response to uh, red light a little bit uh, so yeah like the it's a very um, important uh, signaling uh, signaling factor to the body when it comes to just uh, overall health and uh, in studies the studies find that the red light has a good effect on uh, wound healing so it stimulates like um, energy production in the body and uh, energy mitochondrial function which then uh, speeds up all kinds of other processes, including uh, wound healing and uh, things like that. Like you, you lower the inflammation there. You also uh, direct more blood flow into the region that is uh, being stimulated by red light, and uh, in the process, that just uh, helps to uh, you know get it over with, <laughs> start the healing uh, faster. And you know, blood flow is important for healing. Um, energy energy production is important for healing, and uh, red light uh, helps with that. Uh, so, it, but it is like a small stressor, like the red light. Uh, when especially specifically, if you're using like red light devices, different kinds of devices. At the moment, I have like this small handheld device uh, by Blue Blocks. Uh, I also also have like these long panels by Red Light Rising and others. Uh, so yeah, like the it does cause like a small amount of this uh, hormetic stress to the body. Like uh, reactive oxygen species get generated in small amounts, but then you know the body uh, experiences this hormesis, which is an important phenomenon as well. Uh, superoxydismutase is one of the uh, molecules that is associated with uh, red light, uh, red light, and uh, like the small amount of infrared radiation, and this has again like a positive effect on uh, energy production and mitochondrial function. Uh, there's also like a lot of uh, studies on acne, well, not, maybe like another ton, but could be more, <laughs> could be more studies. But uh, yeah, the studies we do have a few of them uh, show that it improves uh, acne. Uh, so in this study, Aziz Jalali et al. Uh, 2012, uh, they uh, did red light for um, 10 weeks, and yeah, like in the beginning there was, um, you know, significant, not, not not like super significant, not super crazy acne, but still like a few uh, pimples and stuff, a uh, few acne scars, but you know, 10 weeks later, uh, it was uh, pretty much resolved, almost, and yeah, like in the midpoint, there was like some progress, but you know, after 10 weeks, um, Usually it takes uh, like a bit longer time. Uh, I'm not sure like exactly how long was the protocol they used, like how long did they do it, uh, how many times a week or so. But I would imagine like, you know, using it every day, like, that's the way I do it. Uh, like I use it for maybe 5 to 10 minutes, 15 minutes at max every day. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome for not only like the skin, but also other things. Uh, energy production, mitochondrial function, like I mentioned beforehand. And also uh, promotes uh, collagen synthesis uh, through the same uh, ways, through this uh, small amount of reaction oxygen, reactive oxygen species and the blood flow. And um, it can uh, so also reduce some of the wrinkles. <laughs> in this study, like Nam et al. 2007, uh, the, uh, the reduction in the wrinkles isn't like super crazy. It's still, still uh, you know, um, maybe like a bit smoother on the face, uh, but yeah, not, not like super crazy 12 weeks later. Uh, so yeah, it isn't like, like super, isn't something that's going to immediately like, like make your skin, skin super smooth, smooth and uh, supple, etc. But uh, it does have like at least a little bit of a positive effect on uh, the skin tissue. 
uh, by like the, the red light, especially like the infrared light, uh, it penetrates uh, deeper into the tissue, and uh, there it you know stimulates this collagen uh, synthesis and uh, the mitochondrial function. So what are kind of sources of red light? You do get it from like the sunset and uh, the candlelight, but there's also there's all such small uh, sources like they're so insignificant, like the amount that you get. Uh, so um, yeah, the it's not like it's not um, kind of it it it, it is a significant from a, like a circadian rhythm perspective the uh, sunset and the candlelight because uh, you're getting this uh, red light into your into your eyes uh, which then uh, tells your brain that it's you know uh, the evening and it's uh, sunset and it start to um, you should start to go to bed. It, that is a, a significant effect, but not uh, a significant effect in terms of the uh, like skin effects and uh, the mitochondrial function. Uh, for that, you would still need to be using some sort of like you know uh, artificial uh, source, like laser, low-level laser therapy, is uh, a very uh, common uh, method. Uh, but most of this, I say, in the biohacking community and uh, the health and wellness community, the uh, red light panels are the kind of new thing that uh, most people use at home. So I have like a few of them, and uh, yeah, they, they, these are the easiest ways to kind of uh, use it, and the most effective one as well. So yeah, like if you have like a smaller panel, then uh, then uh, you would uh, just need to sit there for a longer time to get the effects, and to get like a therapeutic effect from uh, the sunset or something, uh, I don't think that is like really possible, uh, because you would have to um, you would have to like I don't know, you would have to sit there quite for quite a long time. And uh, for it to reach like your skin and penetrate it into deeper, it's much easier to use like a therapy device if you're looking out for like the skin benefits. If you want to get a good night's sleep, you want to relax, if you want to improve, uh, let's say, maintain brain health, uh, then for that, yeah, like looking at the sunset is a good thing. For, for that, um, like going in the evenings, uh, it is a good, good idea to look at some uh, red lights, like candlelight or uh, or the sunset. And uh, yeah, like in the post, I also mentioned that you know the ones that I'm affiliated with is the red light writing. They have like different kinds of uh, panels, big panels, me medium panels, small uh, face lamps. So yeah, like the difference between them is, and they use like the white uh, with therapeutic wavelengths, uh, 600, 700 between there. And the difference between them is just that the it's uh, mostly like the uh, how much exposure are you getting if you're using like a big panel. Then you have to sit there for a lot, lot less time to get the benefits because you cover all your your own full body faster. Whereas if you have like this small face lamp, you, you could like theoretically walk through your entire body. You can use the face for two minutes, three minutes. Uh, you can use the back of the head, three minutes, uh, the stomach, the legs, etc. But it's just going to take a long time. And uh, yeah, like if you're interested, then you can just uh, check them out. Redlightrising.co.uk and use the code uh, Redseam uh, is the uh, discount code. But let's get a few questions in the meanwhile. So that's my Instagram. So check it out at Seamund uh, on Instagram. I have like a bunch of. I'm making more of like Q and A's and stuff like that on the stories as well. But let's pick a few questions in the meanwhile. Um, all right, Mexico, Idaho, awesome, San Diego. Uh, Repping from Eastern Europe, Bulgaria. <laughs> nice. Uh, Lakeland, Florida. Uh, hello, does celibacy increase longevity? <laughs> well, that's a good first question. Um, like, I haven't seen any, like, studies on that, in essence. Um, it wouldn't, like, 
I don't think there is like any um, reason why it would do that. Uh, like, uh, yeah. You don't want to be like wasting it either. Like you don't want to be like busting a nut all the time. But uh, like a complete syllabus, I don't think that would be uh, like a really... Um, it wouldn't be a completely uh, evolutionarily like um, explanatory. Like because you do... Uh, have like some uh, benefits from um, let's say uh, mating and such as well for your like um, longevity and like uh, less more more oxytocin the uh, love hormone less stress and uh, stuff like that whereas if you're like celibate and uh, then uh, you may not experience those things and you may like, have like uh, more stress and stuff like that <laughs> at least that's what I think um, hey Seem uh, how should we break a 24 hour fast after working out uh, well, uh, the 24-hour fast isn't like that long. It's um, relatively short because it's still within the daily uh, window, and uh, for that, like I would, s depends on also like how uh, how adapted you are to fasting and how used to it you are. Like in the past, when I would um, start start first with my fasting, then uh, like I would maybe get more like an upset stomach or some more digestive issues if I broke the fast too fast <laughs> from 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 uh, like a 24-hour fast. Um, and for that, to prevent that, I would just maybe drink like lemon water, uh, apple cider vinegar and stuff like that and uh, chew, chew fruit properly and uh, eat smaller, smaller meals. Uh, those generally are really good to help. But now, like after I got the new state, then I don't really have any problems. Like I could eat anything uh, after a 24-hour fast. Uh, but yeah, like I, I would still always uh, start with something um, like easier to digest. Like I usually like to have, like some protein is good to break the fast with because um you, you you need a protein to like um, repair the gut lining and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, and uh, kickstart the digestion and metabolic rate. So uh, some protein. Usually, like I have like uh, some eggs or fish uh, with some uh, sauerkraut and stuff like that for the microbiome. Uh, you could also take like glutamine, which is uh, like as a supplement, like a powder, which is good for the gut lining, like your. Um, Intestinal uh, wall cells they uh, use a uh, glutamine basically, and uh, you do get glutamine from protein. But uh, as a supplement is also uh, has been shown to have like a pretty good effect on uh, at least like, if you have like digestive issues, then it's something that I would uh, choose. How to get shredded? Lol, I'm uh, 176 centimeters and 77 kilograms, but would love to have some abs. Uh, well. Uh, 176, 77 kilograms. Well, that's uh, not. That should be like a pretty good uh, BMI for your uh, height and uh, weight. So I would imagine that you're not like obese. <laughs> you're just maybe uh, like a regular body composition. So you would uh, basically have to lose. You know, obviously have to be in a calorie deficit to uh, start to lose some uh, body fat. And uh, the uh, like uh, doing a bunch of crunches and uh, doing a bunch of ab exercises isn't necessarily going to uh, pop out the abs. It's going to be uh, mostly the diet that is determining um, the visibility of the abs. Uh, the uh, exercises are going to be making it more maybe like um, they're going to change some of the shape of the abs. Like they're going to be more blockier or uh, something like that or more, um, yeah. There is some definition that you can develop with ab exercises, but most of it is going to be a diet. And uh, it doesn't matter how uh, how big your abs are if they're like, covered with uh, body fat. So uh, just being in a calorie deficit is important. And uh, doing like the compound lifts is going to be the best thing uh, for uh, nutrient partitioning. Like I mentioned in one of the previous videos, 
to uh, make your body burn uh, fat and build muscle, you have to be doing a resistance training with the compound exercises, uh, squat, bench, deadlift, uh, barbell row, pull-ups, dips, all those things. Uh, they're the best exercises for uh, in terms of the calorie burn and the nutrient partitioning. They make you more insulin, the most insulin sensitive from that because they're using the most uh, like muscle groups. And uh, yeah, they're... Um, they also have like a core element to it. Like if you do squats, then your core does get a cue that workout. You have to like brace the core, and especially with the deadlifts and such. So yeah, being a calorie deficit uh, workout with the compound lifts, you could also do some cardio. Um, that is going to be helpful for the calorie deficit, and uh, eating a like higher protein intake is going to help to uh, maintain that deficit and maintain muscle mass. What to do if my acne got worse on keto? Well, um, usually acne, you know, what, in my opinion at least, uh, one of the biggest reasons why acne um, kind of happens itself is because of like the, uh, the signaling of uh, IGF-1 and mTOR. So uh, IGF-1 and mTOR both are like these uh, major growth pathways in the body. They promote uh, muscle growth, they promote... Um, you know, any kind of cell growth, cell replication, etc. And uh, there are studies that also find that the uh, exercise of one tends to uh, promote acne. So um, what I would recommend to do uh, is to, um, or like, you know, on keto, that can be because of like increased protein intake, uh, because protein stimulates IGF-1 and uh, mTOR. So um, yeah, you can, you can counterbalance that with uh, things like glycine uh, that lower the... Uh, the IGF-1 and uh, lower, lower like this uh, methionine-rich uh, protein that you get from keto. So eating more of like these uh, organ meats, more of these uh, tendons and ligaments and supplementing glycine, uh, I think that will be uh, good for that. Of course, like, you know, there, there's also things like, um, you know, washing your face, uh, preventing you, like sweating can be uh, causing that excess sweating, excess testosterone, um, and such. So, um, yeah, those are kind of my main uh, tips. Eating a clean diet in general, avoiding, um, let's say, these inflammatory foods, uh, sugary foods, uh, refined foods, those things make it worse. On keto, you may, it may be also like a short-term uh, thing uh, that it's like a breakout from the previous uh, diet that you had. So, um, yeah, maybe like uh, some binders, <laughs> charcoal, a little bit, uh, spirulina, chlorella, those can, can also uh, help with that. Dun, dun, dun. Let's question. Let's take it. Uh, what do, what kind I do to increase muscle even when my body is highly estrogenic? <laughs> well, uh, what do kind I do? <laughs> well, that's a weirdly worded, but uh, yeah, like you know, the main uh, main way to build muscle is still uh, the compound uh, lifts, uh, resistance training. That can be calisthenics, and that can be also. Uh, uh, weightlifting, but I think uh, weightlifting is generally uh, more uh, anabolic uh, because, like, the loads are slightly heavier, and uh, yeah, like you also use more muscle groups uh, with with those exercises, like the uh, squat and the deadlift. So those the studies are pretty uh, pretty clear. Like the heavier uh, compound lifts are the best for um, testosterone production and uh, muscle muscle building effect, uh, mTOR stimulation and such. So uh, yeah, squats, bench, deadlift, uh, overhead press, barbell rows, pull-ups, uh, those are the exercises. And uh, in terms of the rep schemes, then uh, even like slightly heavier reps 
are also the most uh, testosterone boosting. So um, some, somewhere between like five reps, uh, I would stay there. Five reps at like 80% of your maximum intensity. Those are the most, uh, let's say, testosterone boosting uh, reps, <laughs> most testosterone boosting workouts. Dun, dun, dun. Hello, how often do you do Finnish sauna? At the moment, uh, it's um, at, usually I do it maybe like uh, twice a week, uh, something like that, because you know have, it takes like a lot, long time to heat it up and etc. And you know, doing the summer, there's not a, like a big reason to uh, make a fire, <laughs> because it's already so hot. Uh, so on the su on the summertime, I usually use the infrared sauna. The infrared sauna I use almost every day, maybe um, maybe four to five times a week, and the um, Finnish sauna I will use maybe one to two times a week. Depends on yeah, like what's going on. Is there an echo, or is it uh, gone? Okay. What exercises do you do during a three-day fast? Uh, well, during a three-day fast, I'm not going to be trying to do like any crazy exercise because. Uh, it's gonna be first of all you're not gonna have like the super strength and uh, it's gonna be just uh, you know, frustrating a little bit you're also gonna be more catabolic uh, you you may potentially lose more muscle mass if you're uh, doing a bunch of crazy let's say hit exercise high intensity interval cardio and uh, those would be something to avoid uh, completely if you're doing like a three to fast what I would do is usually uh, either like regular walking uh, you know uh, low intensity walking uh, or some maybe like resistance bands, like I would use uh, resistance bands to do like some kind of a biceps, <laughs> biceps curl or regular push-ups even. A few uh, a few sets of those is already uh, good enough to uh, basically stimulate the muscle and uh, tell the body that it needs to have the muscle. So yeah, you don't need to do like a, you don't need to stimulate it a whole lot, uh, just a little bit of a good pump, <laughs> getting a good pump is a good, uh, is a good, uh, good uh, strategy. What are your thoughts on anti-nutrients and possibly best vegetable food choices to avoid that? Also, how about foods to have organic and those okay to have uh, non-organic? Well, the anti-nutrient uh, debate, um, well, the thing is that, yes, like, you know, different plants have uh, different kinds of uh, anti-nutrients, but they're not necessarily, like, harmful all the time. Some of them are worse, some of them are less uh, harmful. Um, you know, for example, lectins, tomatoes have lectins, but also meat has some lectins. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a, like, yeah, like some people, it's a very uh, context dependent. I don't think that they're like a harmful thing. Uh, they're not like out to kill you. That wouldn't make sense uh, because, you know, you will, like for evolutionarily speaking, uh, like uh, ruminants and humans and uh, predators of uh, plants, they should, uh, they should eat the plant and carry the seeds around, etc., etc. But they shouldn't die. Like if the if the uh, if the cow dies, then he's not gonna able to transport the seeds and uh, the plants around. So uh, yeah, like the they're they're only make you they're supposed to make you only slightly intoxicated and uh, in excess amounts. So uh, some of them are worse, some of them are less um, less so. So yeah, depends on uh, which kind of uh, compound are we talking about. And also like individual variants. Some people have zero problems. Like I don't in Estonia at least. Like there's a there's very few people who have like any uh, serious like food allergies. Like I don't know anyone who has any food allergies. Like no 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 one I know has lactose intolerance. Or maybe like one person has, two person has, 
Um, no one I know has like a gluten intolerance. So yeah, like I think it's um, very, uh, <laughs> very uh, depends on the uh, location, depends on the uh, people, who, how healthy those people are. Because like if you're a healthy person, then I think uh, you should be able to tolerate any kinds of, uh, let's say, these anti-nutrients in uh, moderate amounts. Uh, of course, like um, there are also studies that, or like case reports where people eat like two kilograms of uh, rhubarb leaves and uh, like bok choy and they die. But you know, that's also like very extreme cases. No one's going to eat rhubarb leaves and no one's going to eat like, uh, you know, several kilograms of bok choy, etc. Um, in terms of the uh, best uh, food, vegetable and fruit choices to avoid, well, um, you you can also like reduce the amount of anti nutrients in them, like when you're talking about beans or uh, grains, you know, you can sprout them. Uh, not you can also sprout nuts, and uh, that will reduce the amount of anti nutrients in them. From a health perspective, like yeah, it would be a good idea to kind of sprout them and uh, soak them and uh, those kinds of things to reduce the anti nutrients. Mm. But then again, it depends on how frequent are you eating them. If you're uh, I don't eat like uh, grains every day. I eat grains maybe like a few times a month to uh, also just um, make my body more resilient against these kinds of uh, things like gluten and stuff. Because I would imagine that if you are avoiding all those things all the time as well, then your body would eventually become very sensitive against uh, those kinds of uh, ingredients and you actually become worse off. So okay, like there is some merit to this uh, hormesis um, in, in the context of these uh, nutrients as well, like the xenohormesis. Uh, xenohormesis is actually uh, like the first the first kind of uh, area of research in the field of uh, hormesis itself. So uh, there's almost like several, almost like a thousand papers on these different kinds of uh, xenohormetic compounds. And uh, yeah, like the first two uh, areas of hormesis research were the xenohormesis, the plant compounds and uh, radiation. So after the cold or during the cold war, those two things were the first things uh, in the field of hormesis that were being researched and then came the sauna and then came the exercise and then came the fasting etc so those uh, those things are actually the most researched when it comes to uh, the uh, potential plant benefits of hormesis uh, radiation and the uh, plant compounds, compounds. Uh, organic, organic i do like to have me like i would prefer to have organic uh, any kinds of fruits and vegetables where you eat the skin basically like uh, strawberries apples pears and then you don't necessarily have to have them uh, non you don't you don't have to you, you can make have them non organic if they're like under the ground like uh, carrots potatoes and uh, like oranges you're not gonna eat the peels um, the bananas you're not gonna eat the peels etc so uh, all the skins where you eat those would be preferably organic organic um, and um, the non organic can be those that you don't eat the peel with. Okay, the echo is gone. Sounds good. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know why it was. Um, hex bar or barbell for deadlifts or dumbbells and kettlebells. Well, uh, I actually would like. I prefer the uh, hex bar because it's more of like a natural, more natural uh, way of uh, gripping it. But you know, in the real world, you can't uh, grip it like that. Most likely, like a like a wheelbarrow, <laughs> you would have to most likely have to grip it like a regular deadlift. Uh, so yeah, like both are probably good. You can you can uh, probably lift a bit heavier with hex bar because of the grip. Uh, but uh, from a functional perspective, then the barbell deadlift is uh, probably the best. With the dumbbells and kettlebells, 
like um, well, the hex bar is basically dumbbell de dumbbell deadlifts on steroids because you can uh, you can put more heavier weight on the hex bar than you can um, probably do it with the dumbbells. So yeah, if you're doing it with already a hex bar, then you don't need to have like uh, dumbbell deadlifts or uh, kettlebell deadlifts. You can do uh, the uh, one-legged one-legged deadlifts uh, more easily with the dumbbells and kettlebells. So for balance and that, that kind of thing. On the 24-hour post-workout question, what about ground beef or ground chicken? Are egg yolks and sardines okay or too fatty? No, those are uh, perfectly fine uh, foods. Like uh, good protein, uh, pretty easy to digest the ground beef, and egg yolks are also good. Uh, sardines, yeah, they're they're fine. They're not uh, like uh, you know. It's, it's you know when you're breaking a longer fast, then it's it's better to uh, keep it lower carb, and uh, the fats are gonna be better. Uh, more more of a ketogenic approach uh, when you're breaking like a slightly longer fast is uh, benefic more beneficial because you avoid this uh, huge spike in insulin that could cause like refeeding syndrome and stuff like that. What do you think of the gorilla mode pre-workout? Well, I haven't tried it, <laughs> so can't tell much. I have. I don't really use like a pre-workouts. I only only drink like one cup of coffee a day, and uh, other than that, I don't. I don't like need to hype myself up uh, before a gym. I don't know. Seem I have a lot of loose skin. I've been bodybuilding for a year, and uh, it's a bit better now. Do you think twenty-four hour dry fast will get rid of it uh, more? Um, well, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe like, you know, there is this, uh, kind of idea that, uh, fasting, especially like dry fasting is going to help to eat up like the loose skin. So, uh, it could, like the uh, process of autophagy has been shown to be uh, beneficial for uh, skin health and skin elasticity, but there isn't any research that says that it literally eats up the dead skin and makes it tighter. So, uh, I wouldn't like, you know, place my bets on that. Uh, maybe it could help with that, um. But uh, it could also, if if it does happen, if it does uh, reduce your loose skin, then it's just gonna also be maybe, um, you know, um, losing the fat that you the last bit of fat that you had. So yeah, like the keep keep like doing resistance training is gonna already uh, increase the skin elasticity as well. Uh, keep eating like a clean diet, uh, higher protein diet tends to improve uh, skin uh, for that. And uh, even like the red light therapy is something that I think uh, could uh, be. Uh, usable in this uh, scenario. Can your fat threshold change as you get older? For example, if you reached 15 stone in younger years without getting insulin resistant, would you get insulin resistant having less fat in later years, etc.? Um, well, I think, uh, so I think, yeah, like, I don't think that the fat threshold is something that is like uh, set in stone, <laughs> that uh, it's going to be permanent for the rest of the life. Um, I think it's uh, always, you know, uh, adjusting and it's just going to change very slowly. Like if you're, uh, let's say, super obese in your teenage years, then your fat threshold, uh, personal fat threshold will be lower uh, in your adulthood. But maybe by your, if you, but if you um, kept, if you worked on that, uh, throughout your adulthood as well, uh, you uh, you're losing weight all the time. You're keeping your uh, you're staying low body fat. You're not doing like these massive swings up and down in the body weight. Then that would eventually also um, you know, change it. So I think that is always a kind of adjustable. 
You just have to be, it just takes a long time, a lot longer time than just losing weight to change. Like, it's, it's almost like an epigenetic level. That's why it's going to take like a longer time, like years and years. Uh, does blocking 5-alpha reductase hinder muscle growth and make you more insulin resistant? I think it doesn't, but would like to know if I'm right. So, 5-alpha um, reductase, blocking it is usually associated with like um, hair loss prevention. So, you, if you block it, then you can, make you, you can reduce uh, hair loss. Um, so, I don't, I'm not like an expert on hair loss, uh, but I would, and I think that... Blocking that wouldn't have like a huge negative impact on uh, muscle growth because you could, there's uh, like other uh, pathways, other uh, hormones that are also responsible for uh, muscle growth. So it's not like the most important one. Uh, so yeah, um, it may have like a, a slight inhibitory effect, but you know, if you, even if it does inhibit your muscle growth, maybe like five percent, you can uh, counteract that with other things like. Um, better sleep or um, boosting uh, IGFL levels with uh, better, like a higher protein diet and uh, lifting weights and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's a numbers game. <laughs> like uh, it's not like just an on and off switch. Um, is it okay for a woman to lose weight and fat percentage with keto and fasting if their menstrual cycle becomes irregular? Well, uh, in the short term, uh, for sure, like uh, you can definitely uh, lose weight, even if you're uh, losing your cycle or it becomes irregular. <laughs> like, is it, is it like uh, the best option in the long term? Uh, well, probably not. Um, like with keto, I all, all, always have been a opponent of the cyclical approach uh, for any, any, any kind of purpose, whether that be fat loss or muscle growth. So, uh, yeah, usually uh, being keto for like a week is not going to have like any uh, negative effects on uh, hormones. You just have to, as long as you're having like some carb feeds and such. So uh, yeah, and even then, like some some women um, swear that uh, staying keto all the time actually helps them with all the other other things like their uh, estrogen levels and uh, better uh, cycles and such. So yeah, depends on the person. Uh, but generally, I would recommend doing some sort of like a cyclical approach. That uh, on some days you eat uh, keto, on some other days uh, you eat uh, more carbs and. Uh, the way I like to do it is um, on the like rest days, on the cardio days, I do uh, more. Uh, there's the echo again. Well, that's that sucks. <laughs> what about now? Maybe it's a bit better. But yeah, as I was mentioning, the uh, the cyclical approach is better on on rest days. On uh, cardio days, you eat uh, low carb. On uh, the weightlifting days, you eat a higher carb. What electrolyte imbalance can cause chills, particularly at night? Well, uh, the the uh, usually what helps to lower body temperature is a uh, salt or, or sodium. So maybe you're getting uh, too much salt. That would be like my first guess. <laughs> Okay. Any tips on minimizing damage on the joints while still doing resistance training and building? Also, what are your thoughts on protein powders, bars, and collagen? Uh, minimizing damage on the joints? Well, um, don't max out. <laughs> so don't go like uh, super crazy with the weights. Um, you know, uh, depends on your age. Like if you're young and uh, 
then you're maybe you can get away with a more heavier weights like a powerlifting uh, style workout. Uh, but if you're uh, getting a, a bit older in your um, like uh, 40s, 50s, something like that, then uh, for that uh, I would do like a slightly higher rep approach because you can stimulate muscle growth in many ways. You can stimulate muscle growth with uh, heavy weights and uh, low reps, and you can stimulate muscle growth with uh, higher reps and uh, lower weights. So, you know, like like bodybuilders. Uh, they actually use very light weights, but they do a bunch of reps, like they just uh, pump it, pump it for minutes and such. Whereas body uh, powerlifters do the opposite, that they do heavy weights, but very low reps. Uh, so yeah, generally like the heavier weights have a better effect on uh, the bones, bone density and the joints. Uh, but um, even then, uh, like uh, both are good. Like I, I like to do it uh, like mixed, like I do a few uh, sets with heavy weights. And then I back off with like a power, uh, with a bodybuilding style that I focus more on the hypertrophy side uh, to get like the best of both worlds. So um, yeah, like there is some uh, merit to doing like heavier weights, but if you're already injured or you ha if you're suffering from uh, joint pain, then uh, dial down the uh, weights and increase like the volume and increase the amount of uh, reps uh, per set. Some other things that you can also do um, would be yeah, like to increase like the collagen intake. Uh, collagen uh, as, a, as a like you know you do get collagen from all these different kinds of foods uh, chicken skin uh, chicken drumsticks uh, bones and stuff like that uh, but you know it's, it's very hard to get like a really good amount from just that so like a collagen powder is a very easy way to do that i don't have like any any particular collagen brand to recommend uh, but yeah Collagen uh, glycine is also a huge, one-third of uh, collagen is glycine, so yeah, glycine supplementation is also good for that. And glucosamine is uh, like one supplement that it does have, like, uh, it's most, most known, uh, like, these joint supplements, and uh, there is some research that it does uh, have a beneficial effect in, like, lowering, um, lowering the inflammation. So, like, boron is also, like, one of the minerals that is uh, important for uh, the uh, inflammation and uh, prevents, like, uh, arthritis. So, uh, Boran. Alright. Ekagrata Occult has a super, ch super chat. Uh, Thank you for all you do. You have been a great help over the years. Going on a 48, maybe 70 hour fast from tomorrow. Well, that's... <laughs> glad to hear. Thanks for, thanks for that. Uh, 48. Nice. Well, I, I at the moment I'm... Uh, mostly focusing on uh, 48s myself. Uh, I'm not doing like a bunch of 72 hour fasts at the moment. But uh, yeah, like if you are new to this, then for sure you can try it out. It's uh, always like um, you learn a lot <laughs> about your own body when you're doing that. But yeah, like no need to go like super crazy. How to fix a slow metabolism from fasting too much and per perhaps not getting enough calories? Or how do you know you have a slow metabolism? Well, that's the thing, like um, it's... This thing, this thing that is called slow metabolism, is not actually like a thing, <laughs> because you know what is a slow metabolism? Is a twelve hundred calorie uh, slow metabolism, or is a twenty five hundred calorie slow metabolism? Depends on the person and depends on like the body weight, uh, uh, etc. So uh, you know your your metabolism is always adjusting. Again, it's never stagnant. Even if it is slow, you can speed it up. If it's fast, you can slow it down, quote unquote. Or like your uh, metabolic rate is just a not. It's just the amount of your uh, total daily energy expenditure, so uh, how much calories or how much energy is your body uh, burning every day, and you can change it by increasing uh, input or uh, reducing uh, 
or I increasing output, which is exercise and moving around, or reducing input, which is like eating less or eating more, if, if it's if it's the case. So um, yeah, moving around more would increase your metabolic rate. Building more muscle increases that. Uh, focusing on the compound lifts again, um, eating a high protein diet makes you burn more calories or waste them away, and uh, making sure that your thyroid is uh, working properly that does regulate your metabolic rate. So for the thyroid, protein, carbs. So carbs are actually a good way. To, like spiking insulin is actually one of the good things for um, the thyroid. So uh, yeah, like if you're being uh, low carb for too long or if you've been fasting for too much, uh, then um, yeah, eating a bit more carbs with proteins, uh, maybe getting some iodine. Is 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 you know a mineral important mineral for the thyroid, but also like sodium actually helps to transport iodine into the thyroid uh, thyroid gland. So if you're like low in sodium, that can also be a problem. Uh, but yeah, like uh, what I would usually like a lot of people when they're overstressing themselves, over uh, over fasting, over exercising, then that we start to see like these plateaus in their uh, weight loss and uh, like this uh, stubborn uh, weight loss. So uh, for that, I would uh, yeah, so suggest focusing mostly on again this uh, basically like lifting weights and resistance training because uh, that although it burns calories, makes you build muscle, it's a good exercise. It isn't like super stressful on you because it's not you're not like uh, cardio. You're not doing cardio that is um, keeping you in this uh, fight or flight state. Uh, whereas the you know the weights is actually one of the best ways to prevent a slow metabolism and, and also um, regain rega recover from that. Have you read Primal Body, Primal Mind? If so, how did you like it? Uh, well, I think I've probably read it. I don't. Yeah, like I've read, like I read a bunch of books, like a few years ago, uh, like maybe six years ago or something. Then I read like a ton of books all the time, um, and I think I, that book was also one of them. But I, I don't remember like a ton of it. It's mostly like a paleo type of that, uh, with a more like autoimmune uh, perspective of reducing more of these. Um, plant compounds and stuff but yeah you can you can definitely find some uh, good information there i think really like the new look of this channel well thanks <laughs> are anti-nutrients a concern if eating white rice almost every day well uh, white rice actually doesn't have like almost any anti-nutrients so it's just you know rice um and it is generally the kind of easiest to digest the carbs as well. So the like the vertical diet, if you heard about it, it's uh, basically uh, beef, red meat with rice and uh, some other uh, like smaller foods. And the reason why it's rice is because it's very easy to digest and it doesn't have like any uh, basic anti nutrients. So it's uh, like a carb, carb stacking, carb loading, carb loading tool. What do you think of creatine supplement? The uh, well, I do take it, so it's good for, uh, like most people associate creatine with uh, basically like uh, strength and uh, power and uh, muscle, which is true. It does help with that. It's very researched in that scenario, in that regard, uh, but it also has like a ton of other benefits. Like it improves the cognition, like like uh, in vegans, like if, if, if uh, they're given uh, creatine, then their IQ increases because, you know, creatine is important for the brain function and... Uh, I also recently saw one study, another study where there's where there's like this uh, creatine transporter deficiency caused like some neurodegeneration or something like that. So yeah, like creatine is important energy 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 like molecule uh, helps with ATP, ATP production. So uh, yeah, muscle growth, uh, cognition, uh, anti aging. It's a it's a meth meth methyl donor. 
So yeah, like almost everyone could benefit from a little bit of creatine. One, you know, a concern is always people say that, you know, it causes hair loss because of the same uh, 5-alpha reductase kind of interaction somehow. Uh, if you're like, I think if you're genetically predisposed, then it may happen. So but kind of be careful. But uh, I haven't noticed like anything. So I've been taking it for a long time. My hair isn't falling out. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, fine for most people. You don't have to like, uh, you don't have to like crazy, go crazy with it. You don't have to load it. You don't have to take like crazy amounts. Even just, um, I take only like three or five grams at maximum a day. Have both your books 65. No need for doctors or pharma drugs. Lost all my inflammation with sauna this winter. Uh, 120 pounds today, 5 foot 4 inches. Doing great keep. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Yeah, that's a really awesome 65 and uh, keep keep rocking. <laughs> Alright, let's pick another question. Can you talk about food combinations and which to avoid? I understand the worst combination is sugars, carbs with fats. Uh, yeah, like generally that's what I would uh, avoid because, um, you know, if you are eating a bunch of, let's say, high, high glycemic foods with uh, fats, then uh, you're, you know, the first of all, it's going to be like much higher in calories. Like there's fats and ca carbs and sugars, so it's going to be a higher calorie intake. If if it's gonna be if it if it fits in your macros, <laughs> quote unquote, then it's not gonna be that harmful if if it, as long as it's in your calorie um, calorie uh, maintenance because your body is still able to deal with all these different kinds of things. Um, it becomes more problem if you're uh, becoming if you're going into like a energy surplus, and uh, then that can cause like insulin resistance and those kinds of things. But yeah, like even like the worst kinds of uh, fats and carbs together is not gonna be like a huge problem if you're in a calorie deficit. But it becomes a bigger problem if you're uh, eating in a surplus. Uh, but even even then, like I personally don't do uh, these um, fats and carbs together. I always want to kind of uh, separate them uh, from like a nutrient partitioning perspective as well. Because if you are eating, you know, fats together with high levels of insulin, then um, you know it may be it may be easier to store uh, those fats as uh, body fat as well because your insulin levels are high. Whereas if you're eating uh, fats in a low-carb meal, then your insulin levels are low. And uh, from a nutrient part partitioning perspective, it's going to be better. And of course, uh, you know, um, the calorie deficit is, at the end of the day, is going to be a de determining factor. But uh, still, <laughs> it, helps me sleep, it helps me to sleep better at night <laughs> if I keep the carbs and fats uh, separate. And also helps to uh, keep the um, calorie, uh, calorie intake in moderation. Uh, do you eat pork at all? Uh, yeah, well, I do. It's um, pretty uh, common in Estonia, so I do eat it every once in a while. Do you feel a mental clarity from fasting? Uh, well, yeah, like I do. Um, depends on how long the fast has been. Usually the mental clarity uh, is super super heightened like mental clarity and mental clearness that, that usually kicks in around like day two or day three and from a but from my everyday everyday setting uh, daily uh, intermittent fasting i just notice less distractions so I, I think less about food i don't have like i don't have it in the back of my head that i have to eat or i have to have like a snack or something uh, because yeah just opens up a lot of uh, let's say more uh, mental resources to do other things uh, what do you think about iodine supplementation the uh, generally not 
I, I don't really take iodine supplement um, and it may also be uh, problematic because uh, excess iodine can also cause thyroiditis and uh, autoimmunity. So uh, yeah, like uh, it's, it's very, um, you know, um, not really recommended in my opinion to take like an iodine supplement. You do want to eat foods that have iodine like uh, sea vegetables, sea kelp, this nori, uh, wakami, <laughs> whatever kinds of these uh, vegetables, uh, seaweed in uh, Japan they eat. And also like fish, um, eggs, egg yolks, um, you know, milk may have it, depends on the milk, uh, cheeses, then uh, yeah, those will be good, good, good for that. But it also depends on, you know, um, where does the food come from? Like if the, uh, if the cow doesn't have access to iodine, then you're not going to have uh, any uh, iodine in the milk either. So uh, yeah, it depends on the food quality. But yeah, generally I do eat uh, fish, uh, vegetables, uh, sea vegetables. Uh, sea kelp and uh, stuff like that, and you know the Jap Japanese people, uh, they they eat a bunch of uh, these uh, sea vegetables and they have like super high iodine intake, like up to thirty two grams <laughs> a day or something, which is almost like uh, like fifteen times or uh, thirty times more than the average Westerner. Best way to heal leaky gut? Uh, well, the glutamine that I mentioned, basically uh, glutamine helps to seal it up. So protein and glutamine, uh, glutamine supplements uh, have been shown to be uh, beneficial for that. Um, that's what I would do. Well, and of course you have to kind of uh, find out what is causing the leakiness. Is it uh, stress? Is it overtraining? Um, is, it, uh, is it maybe like potentially uh, some of the anti-nutrients? If you are very sensitive to that, then um, yeah, kind of eliminate them and seal it up with um, higher uh, protein intake and um, the um, the uh, glutamine of the these um, butyrate that you get from uh, breaking down fiber or digesting fiber as well as like animal fats those can also be uh, good do you microdose things like rice <laughs> like you do for gluten uh, no like uh, there's no uh, there's no reason to like microdose rice I think uh, because you probably won't develop like any allergies against it. But you know I do eat it maybe I don't know once a month at most. It's not my favorite carb. Uh, my my usually usually my carb sources are like just white potatoes uh, and some fruit. If we train fasted, is it better to do a carb refeed on workout days or rest days? Um, so you're meaning that you're um, working out like in the morning in a fasted state and uh, then having carbs on the workout days or rest days. Well, um, you know, the, both uh, can be fine because if you eat the carbs on the rest days, then you're going to fill up the uh, glycogen stores and then you can use them on the workout uh, whereas if you eat the carbs on the workout days after the workout then uh, you would uh, basically restore the glycogen so you know both are fine uh, from a performance perspective it could be better to uh, eat the carbs the night before because then your uh, glycogen store is going to be full uh, but from um, like a body composition body composition perspective and nutrient partition perspective uh, i think it's better to have them like after the workout because then there's like this uh, less spillover and the uh, glycogen or the carbs would go into uh, glycogen. That's how I do it, at least. Like I don't have like any crazy performance goals in terms of like I'm not gonna 
I'm not gonna compete in like a marathon or something uh, or something. Do, do, do. Let's pick some final questions. How many days in a week we should exercise every day or three to four days? Uh, well, what I do is like I like to do something physical every day. Uh, like uh, I want to do um, something that kind of gets me a bit sweating. <laughs> like that can be saunas, that can be uh, cardio, that can be weights. Uh, but yeah, like anything that kind of gets me sweating um, just for general health. And it doesn't, I wouldn't categorize those like as exercise, uh, but I do do the weights maybe uh, three times a week, uh, three times a week with weights and maybe like one day where I do yoga or some calisthenics and uh, usually I do cardio maybe one to two times a week. Because like the cardio, I'm not, again, like I'm not doing, I'm not pushing myself with the cardio. I'm like doing regular cardio but that keeps me in the uh, aerobic zone, but it's not something that's going to... It's not gonna put me into like overtraining, so yeah, the cardio is actually like a rest day <laughs> for me. But the minimal effect is those I would say that um, with weights you want to do it at least like twice a week is gonna be uh, good enough, and the cardio again also like maybe once a week would be the minimum, but uh, optimally two two times a week. Okay, let's pick the last question. So it's gonna be some uh, good uh, one. How to break out a fat loss plateau on OMAD for someone who is also working out to build muscle? Uh, be patient and wait for long term, but slow fat loss will go for long fasts. Um, well, uh, I think if you haven't read, then you should check out my book, uh, Metabolic Autology, that actually. Uh, you know, OMAD is good, can be good for uh, weight loss because you're just eating once a day, uh, but it's definitely harder for uh, muscle growth because it's uh, such a small time frame to build, to, to stimulate the muscle protein synthesis. Uh, but that that's what, one of the reasons why, like, I changed that. I, I made my own version of OMAD, which is called, like, this uh, targeted, you know, the fasting, uh, where I do, I do eat one meal a day, but I have, like, a protein shake during the workout, which helps to uh, stimulate muscle protein synthesis, uh, prevent muscle loss, and still have like a good workout. So that's what I've been doing for the last like five years. <laughs> I've been doing that for the f last five years. Uh, and uh, yeah, like it's been working great. I haven't slowed down any progress. Uh, I've been, I've been uh, consistently uh, slowly building muscle. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it definitely is a much uh, better version of regular OMAD because you're getting a better uh, hypertrophy effect, uh, muscle building effect, while at the same time, um, in theory, it can also help with like the uh, fat loss plateaus by doing that. And yeah, you can check it out in my book, uh, Metabolic Ecology. <laughs> All right, well, that's a good uh, end. Are your books on Amazon? Yes, they're on Amazon. But yeah, all the, all the, all the books are on Amazon. The uh, Mineral Fix, the Immunity Fix, uh, Stronger Stress, Metabolic Ecology. But yeah, well, thanks, thanks for uh, checking out the live stream. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try to do them more frequently again. <laughs>